1: through Perspectives of Hope in Jesus Christ. What is faith-driven investing? What are standards of excellence of a faith-driven investor? Are capital markets able to advance the gospel around the world? How does God raise up a leader with global experiences for a key role of faith-driven investing. This is the story of Jake Thompson, a man with an eternal mindset in the world of investing. We pause here as we typically do at the beginning of our show to remind you the reason we have the Good Life Show is to share how the love of Jesus Christ makes a difference in the lives of people. I'm talking about Jesus' love so strong that he died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried and rose again on the third day, offering God's hope. Jake Thompson is a partner with Sovereigns Capital, a venture capital fund that invests in faith driven entrepreneurs in Southeast Asia and the United States. Jake graduated magna cum laude in Economics from Pomona College, and later earned an MBA from the Fuqua School of Business and an MPP in International Development from Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke University. Jake lives with his wife Lauren and his twins, a daughter and son, in Washington, D.C. Jake, welcome to
2: our show. Thank you, Danny. It's a true pleasure to be here with you and I've been looking forward to being together.
1: Jake, where did you grow up?
2: Yeah, so I grew up on the windward side of Oahu in Kailua. So uh, various places all over all over Kailua itself, Olomana, Aikahi, but I uh, spent the first roughly about twenty-six years of my life. You know, I was actually born on the West Coast, but my folks had met and married in Hawaii and moved to the mainland for a few years. Had my brother and I had moved right back to the islands, so I grew up there. All through high school and then back for my first four years of my career.
1: What was it like spending twenty six years in Hawaii? People people envy that, you know. What was it like for you?
2: They do. You know, the, the question I get most often is, what are you doing here? <laughs> uh, you people <laughs> of course hear about the islands and just the beauty and just so much wonder about the unique culture and the rest and, and they're they're spot on. It was an incredible place to grow up. Uh, incredible place to to still feel that is home right deep in my heart. Uh, the the culture and the people and uh, the the beauty just it was it was incredible. You know I I moved to the mainland when I was about twenty six years old and I don't think I truly had an appreciation for what a special place it was. It was just simply home until I did. But everything from the the pace of life right where it's such a such an an isolated spot, which is sometimes. Consider a negative word and yet you look at the, the beauty of the culture and everybody being out there for each other and it's a very tight-knit place and, and that's something that I've tried to recreate in various communities that I've moved on but it's a big part of my story big part of my identity
1: you speak about culture who influenced you most Jake in your growing up years
2: I'd say I have to include my parents in that of course um my parents were just wonderful, faithful folks. My, my dad, he actually had a uh, church in Kailua. My mom worked for a bank downtown. And I think that they influenced me more than anything because we were a family that more than anything, we're typified by, by love, right? Two parents who sought to be loving and faithful to those in our lives and their marriage and our family. I think so many folks that I know, they maybe grow up in the church or exposed to, to Christianity and I they, they almost reject the truth claims just simply because they might see hypocrisy, uh, which unfortunately is is all too prevalent. And my parents were folks that, that just sought to make it first and foremost in their lives. So seeing the way that they that they did life, that they prioritized people, that was just a, a big part of the influence that, that I took with me for, for years to come. And I'd say another person that I, I have to call out is I had a second and third grade teacher, I had her for two years in a row, named Mrs. Ganico at Mount Wheelie Elementary School. And I cannot quite describe this, but I will say that literally not two or three weeks go by where I don't think about some kind of lesson from her class. Right, she was one of these teachers that sure, I'm sure we learned math and science and reading and all the rest that you learn in those grades. But the things that I remember were those lessons that were, were much more than that. Um, for instance, first day of school, you'd bring in your pencils that was on the list and, and she'd say, all right, now everybody pull out your erasers. And you're not allowed to erase in this class. You have to put a line through any mistakes because mistakes are meant to be learned from, right? Or she, uh, I remember this, there was a, a class that was being launched for, to learn Japanese the language and in school. And I signed up for it, but turned out there was enough interest. Only the fifth and sixth graders got it. And Mrs. Ganiko sat me down and gave me a couple of books and said, well, here you go. You can get started with these. And it, it cultivated me a, a deep sense that I can go and I can learn kind of on my own. I, I didn't need to rely on just the structures and what was put before me. And, I'll tell you one thing just for one last example. I think about this a lot. And I actually use this in my my daily communications is there was a time Mrs. Ganiko sat us down and said, Okay, everybody write down how to put on a sweater. And so of course that's pretty easy. And I'm saying things like, Well, you know, put your head in, in the hole and put your arms in the other hole and and you're done. And of course she held the sweater up in front of the class and would quite literally follow the instructions and put her, try to put her head in, in that case, in the, the sleeve, right? And it just, of course, it didn't go on right. And she was making the point that we kind of have this curse of knowledge when we're visualizing something in our mind, but we have to put ourselves in the other person's shoes and figure out how they're going to take it and be very crisp or clear in our communication and, and try to give somebody else the benefit of the doubt. Things like this that Mrs. Ganico, I don't know if she'll ever know the impact that she had on my life, but she was a a big shaping influence in the early days.
1: I think she'd be encouraged if she were to hear you speak of her on this podcast, uh, Jake Thompson. Uh, wow, what an, an indelible impression she she left on you, and life lessons that you carry out to this day. You talked about your father. You mentioned a church. Your faith background. Tell us about yeah. your relationship with Jesus.
2: Yeah, well, maybe I'll I'll answer that by talking about how it's it's evolved and um, a growing knowledge of of Christ over the years. And you know, growing up in the church, I, I think I had a pretty similar story to a lot of people where that was almost the water that we swam in. Right, I accepted it as truth. Uh, really feel like I had that personal relationship with Christ as I as I was growing up. Um, it was very genuine faith, but I, I think I would say that it was untested, right, as anything that we're exposed to growing up is. And so while it was very genuine, it was really in college that I had a chance to, to be at a college that, that didn't necessarily value faith. And the professors there were probably more on the antagonistic side than on the supportive side. And I loved taking Bible classes from them because there was the, the exploration of scripture in, in its historical context. But also from folks who didn't necessarily believe that it was the inspired word of God. And so it really challenged me to go in and have a, a deep understanding of my faith. And I'm the type of guy that I need to understand the big picture to be truly motivated in the day to day. And that includes my faith. And so being able to, to hear the objections, to research those, to dive in, to know that there is, there is such incredible depth and, and truth behind these truth claims, that was a big deal for me in college. And that's, that's when it really became probably my own and my motivating force that wasn't just part of my identity because it was real and yet very cultural at the same time. And I'd say the third big act of my faith is a very a very gracious time of the Lord had showed me how my daily life is, is influenced by it, not just in trying to, to love others in the day-to-day, that's so important, of course, or even the spiritual disciplines, right, of, of going before the Lord and just all the rest. But having a lens through which I see all of life, through through my faith and a big part of that was, I think my my time growing up. I probably would describe it if you've heard of the term the two part gospel versus the four part gospel. And you know, just there is the two part gospel is this idea. You know, part number one that we are fallen sinful people. Part number two, Jesus came to save us. And amen, right? Incredibly true. And and yet I think when we look at the narrative of Scripture, incomplete, right? Whereas part one is that God created a good earth and part 2 is it fell into disrepair through sin and, right it became broken part 3 is Christ did come to save us and call us to himself but part 4 is almost what we are saved for right not to accomplish anything through through our acts or our works but it's really this idea of looking forward to revelation 21 when heaven comes to earth and we're resurrected and God makes all things new right this this making things new is what he declares that he is doing at that time and that is the kingdom that's the kingdom of God and Christ declares that it is at hand through his people. And so I caught a vision in my mid-20s, this idea that my faith is a motivating force to join the work that God is doing in the world, that it's not just a one-on-one relationship. That's, that's the cornerstone of it. That's the important part of who is Jesus to me and, and who does he declare I am. But then what, what would he have me do to go love my neighbor and seek human flourishing and represent for my own story? And insofar as that can mean encouragement to others to, to know him or to become more like him. And so I think that third act was really not just building on the culture and genuine belief and not just building on the deep knowledge, but really acting that out in my career, and my family, and the way that I live my daily life. And it's been a, a sweetness as I've come to know God more and more in that progression.
1: There is a truly an, an eloquence by the way that Jake Thompson speaks of his relationship with Christ. And the impact, uh, spiritual formation, impactful moments that he has encountered, that he has gone through or lived through over the years. When we come back, more from Jake Thompson. Jake is a partner with Sovereign's Capital. It's a venture capital fund that invests in faith-driven entrepreneurs in Southeast Asia and the United States. You can find out more at SovereignsCapital.com C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the, the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. That lens. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life Namelessly Beneath the bare and sky leave it to me I you home. James 3:13 says who is wise and understanding among you let him show it by his good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. the good life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. Mae Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you.
0: You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Jake Thompson
1: explains how his faith has shaped his perspectives as a venture capitalist in a sublime way. In the book, Faith Driven Investors, Tim Keller wrote, The Christian faith gives you a new spiritual power and inner gyroscope that keeps you from being overthrown by success, failure, or boredom. Find out more about Sovereign's Capital at Sovereign'sCapital.com. If you're tuning in right now, maybe caught the tail end of that last segment, you can get this program in its entirety. Just go to drdanny.live or subscribe on Apple or Spotify These programs are available for you. Share it with family members and friends. Jake, faith-driven investing, what is it? And who is a faith-driven investor?
2: I would say a faith-driven investor is somebody who is seeking to live their entire lives as a response to the call of Jesus on their lives to include their investing. They ask, not just how do I give my 10% away because that's God's portion, right? but believing that the whole thing is God's portion. And the other 90%, whether it's my spending or the investing that I do, that is also something that God might call me to use to, to further his kingdom, to love others, to seek flourishing. The faith of investors, whether it's in real estate or angel investing or public markets, right? Investing in companies, like the stock exchange, it's looking at all of that through the lens of our faith and, and really going down on our knees and prayerfully considering how we might steward that capital not just to give away, but to have impact as we invest in those companies that that might use it to grow and to to further different products and services and their businesses.
1: You mentioned impact. Are there standards of excellence for a Christian investor?
2: Oh, that is a great question. I think absolutely. When we think about faith-driven investing, an important question to ask is what type of investing is one called to? right? They're there for too long, I would say, and, and the ecosystem is evolving in very encouraging ways. But for a while, you would see people who said, well, I'm a Christian as an investor. So my faith-driven investing is going to be in what we would call concessionary investment, where you you concede some return and you're not going to get the same financial return. And yet you are going to have some really great impact. Maybe you're investing in or communities or opportunity zones, whatever it might be. And there was more of an, an impact investing view of that. Whereas some on the other side would say, well, you, you might be sacrificing excellence there. Uh, you really should go for market rate returns, right? 20% internal rates of returns, which is oftentimes a benchmark that you look at private equity or venture capital. And they would say, well, it's fine that you have that impact, but you're, you're lacking excellence. Whereas those on the other side might say, well, sure you have excellence, but you're, you're lacking impact. Whereas I think the truth is, those those investors are called to solve different problems or to address different problems, and you can look at that at any kind of asset class that you might invest in. So there is a standard of excellence, although I would say that standard is different based on on where you invest. You know, where we invest at Sovereigns Capital on the venture capital side of what we do is in men and women who are building scalable technology companies. That excellence for them does look like growing quickly, like some of these household name technology firms that that we all know, whether it's the Facebooks or the Netflix or whatever it might be, but they're they're running those as a way to have the the right kind of DNA to to love their neighbor to to solve problems. And so they actually don't have the impact that they desire to have unless they are scaling. Whereas other models, you might actually sacrifice some impact if you try to scale so quickly. So it's important for a faith driven investor to again prayerfully consider where God might have him or her invest and to figure out what is excellence there. Cause I think it it does look like what is the right financial return for that, but you also have to hold intention. What is the right impact? But that's going to be that equation is solved in different ways depending on where one invests.
1: The Bible, thinking biblically about these things, what does the Bible say from your perspective, Jake, about investing?
2: Yeah, more than anything, it would say that God owns it all, right? Again, we, we've for too long in the church, I think, lived under this mentality of what we would call two-pocket giving, right? Where, well, I, g- I give all my charitable giving out of, out of one pocket, but the other, other pocket is kind of mine. That's what God gives to me. But again, understanding that he owns it all and calls us to steward it, right? We talk a lot about the parable of the talents. What does it look like for stewardship? And I don't think the parable of the talents means that we should go out and maximize financial return, right? That's not, that's not the only point of that, right? But there are other returns that we might maximize. And so I think more than anything, it is offering it up as worship, right? We don't just worship on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights or in our charitable giving. We worship through our work. We worship through our investing in our families and the rest. And so I think scripture would say it all belongs to God and he calls us to join him in the work. So we should look at where we believe that God is working in the world and seek to invest behind where we see that momentum.
1: You mentioned excellence, you mentioned impact. you mentioned sometimes there's a there's a concession one way or the other. How are capital markets capable of advancing the gospel around the world?
2: yeah, great question and I might even I might even step back and say what is what is god what is he up to right What is being made new look like and i I think that maybe to oversimplify falls mm-hmm. into a couple of categories and I would say the first category is people coming to know Jesus, right? Becoming more like Jesus, and another one focused on human flourishing. Uh, what does it mean to have people that are avoiding suffering and have meaningful work and have communities that are that are known and cared for and, and thriving? And so, investing is an important part of that because we believe at sovereigns, and I believe that business is one of the most impactful ways to shape the world around us, right? If you think about a business, whether it's it's a small local business in the corner in one's community or a huge multi-billion dollar company, a couple of things that you see, one is a lot of people involved, right? If you have a, a Jesus following CEO of a company, they're going to interact with investors and suppliers and their teams and their customers. There are a whole lot of relationships, a whole lot of interactions that are going to be fodder for, for building relationships and loving people, getting to know each other and being able to share their personal motivation and why with gentleness and respect. But they're also contributing to that human flourishing bucket where there are products and services that might be solving those problems. They can create internal cultures where people truly have a sense of purpose at work that spills out into a sense of purpose at home. Um, I'll, I'll give you one example of an early investment of ours it was a company called Grab out in Southeast Asia. And this was essentially the Uber of that region. and anthony tan he was he was living in Singapore, went to Harvard Business School and went back to the region and Started Grab for a number of reasons, but it was very much from his personal motivation uh, in his faith, where he wanted there to be a platform that would reduce abuse against women in the taxicab system. Uh, they had core values like to outserve the competition, all about servant leadership. They really cared about their drivers. They call them driver partners even today, and they had resources for their education and for their families and for their finances. And he saw his company as an avenue through which he could advance the gospel, so to speak, by caring for his people you know 40 percent of the the drivers today and he has many millions of them did not have jobs before working at grab and through this excellence and through this platform he's able to share about his personal why and his own story and there'll be publications in southeast asia that'll ask anthony hey hey what's the secret of grab and he'll say things like well there's no secret but but i follow jesus and i believe we are to love god and love neighbor and this is a company that tries to love our neighbor really really well so he's able to have a platform that, that shares his personal why, because of the excellence of the company that has scaled up to the degree it has while contributing to human flourishing. And I think the gospel is furthered through companies like that, whether it's a small one that has two employees and, and 20 customers, right? God uses the small things just as much, uh, maybe a different scale. But I think that depth and the way it pleases the Lord is, is this very same category.
1: Is that what you're looking for when you consider your investments? Uh, through the company.
2: It is. Is, is this part of the it is.
1: Uh, sovereigns, capital, mm-hmm. culture, thought, feeling, sense Absol- behind everything? Ethos.
2: Absolutely. You know, we invest in, in faith-driven founders who are seeking market rate returns. Uh, that, that's just the area that, that we've doubled down on. And yet, doing that in a way to live out their faith and seek their calling. So everybody that we invest in has what we would call a spiritual integration plan, where they're thinking through, how does my faith impact the various aspects of the company internally, externally, yeah, it's going to look different for every single company. There's no, we like to say one size fits one, uh, and yet somebody having the the encouragement to think through that, and really the license too. There aren't very many venture capitalists who, and I'll step back and say venture capital is known to be a pretty pretty tough taskmaster, right? You come in, you're you're investing some money, you take a portion of the company that you own, and most venture capitalists would, would really push those entrepreneurs to grow in ways that are really easy in the boom times because everybody's on the same page and everybody's celebrating. But times even like today, right, where the markets aren't growing quite as quickly, just gets harder. It gets harder for the founder, venture capitalists get a little emotional, a little uneasy, right? Their returns start to start to decrease and that makes their job harder. And so you don't see a lot of partnership, a lot of grace. And so sometimes that relationship is uh, has some friction. So for these faith-driven founders to have a partner where we can say, we not only are okay if you do this, like we actually want to encourage you to figure out how does your faith matter? I think, I think that's important because a lot of these founders, they'll have church communities who don't really get the tech culture they're a part of, but they'll have the Silicon Valley style tech communities that don't get their faith. So we, we seek to be those partners that can understand both sides of what they're doing and be a deep encouragement across both sides to help them to succeed uh, in the various aspects of their identity and their work.
1: Jake, when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about the relationship, healthy working relationships uh, between entrepreneurs and investors. How how might that be experienced? Let's talk more. You're listening to Jake Thompson. Jake is a partner with Sovereign's Capital, a venture capital fund that invests in faith-driven entrepreneurs in Southeast Asia and the United States. He spent four years as an independent consultant delivering strategy and operations advisory services to startups and small companies with clients in Tanzania, in North Carolina, and across the United States. Jake Thompson, SovereignsCapital.com. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life famously beneath the barren sky Leave it to me, i lead you on. Hi, this is Danny Yamashiro. In what way have you seen God work powerfully in your life? Do you have a story to share about God's provision and deliverance? Have you experienced God's healing? Do you have a testimony that will encourage others? 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. I want to share your story on our radio podcast. Please visit drdanny.live and share your Jesus story by clicking on the link at the top left of the home page. If you'd like to share your testimony in the form of a letter, send your correspondence to Formation Institute, PO Box 381222, Cambridge, Massachusetts 02238. That's Formation Institute P.O. Box 381-222, Cambridge, Massachusetts, 02238.
0: You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny. A program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. As
1: a lead associate in the strategic innovation group of consulting firm Booz Allen Hamilton, Jake Thompson launched and managed a SaaS cybersecurity risk product for large IT organizations and led business development for energy offerings in Jakarta, Indonesia. He also helped to start up the Internet of Things IoT division, which developed and delivered IoT products and services to Fortune 100 companies. He joins us today, Jake Thompson of Sovereign's Capital. Jake, before our break, we are just touching on relationships. How can... Entrepreneurs and investors experience a healthy working relationship.
2: It's probably harder than you would think. Uh, As I mentioned, there's there's this inherent power dynamic when somebody comes in and invests money, right? There's almost a sense of okay, we're the money and we've we've got the influence here, and uh, it's 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 a tension because what we want to invest behind is the vision that God has put on the heart of the entrepreneur, and so we try to do that a little bit differently at, at Sovereigns Capital. You know, we we had the ultimate model of power dynamics, right? Jesus coming to earth and, and you couldn't have more of a, a disparity in power there. And yet, how did he use that power? Use it to serve, to sacrifice. And he had a mission outside of himself. And we try to live into that by supporting our entrepreneurs and, and almost representing the easy yoke of Christ in that relationship. And to be clear, that, that doesn't mean that we're, we seek to be soft investors, right? We're going to hold folks accountable like any good partner were. And we've got a fiduciary duty to our investors and we take that seriously. But we do think there is a win-win in there where we can get to know founders and walk alongside them and in some ways almost hold their arms up, right? Kind of like Aaron and her holding up the, the arms of Moses when he was exhausted, right? These founders are exhausted and it's almost like a knife fight in a phone booth where sometimes you're just trying to get out alive. And if we can just make that a little easier by being folks who see them and know them, uh, that, that's important to us. So what that looks like is getting to know them and their story. We, we pray together on a regular basis with our founders. We, we really like to get to know their families, right? Because we're not just investing in a financial transaction. These are relationships that usually last between seven and 10 years. And we want to do that right. And so we'll, we'll try to engage those relationships in ways that are, are loving. And yet we're all working together to, to have a, a good outcome financially and in terms of the impact of the company. And so focusing on the individual, in addition to all the the value that we hope to bring as venture capitalists with connections and more capital and good advice. Uh, But the focus on the person I think is a part where, where our faith shows itself most tangibly.
1: You think about, when you think about people and you think about human flourishing, you talk, you talk about the four part story and moving Mm -hmm. with human flourishing to recreation or new creation. Yeah. As you talk about seven-plus years of being with investors, uh, being with, with entrepreneurs, how does that long view impact the way you relate with people? How, 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 how deep does that allow you to go?
2: Hmm. That is a good question. I might answer that from a couple of different dimensions. One thing that I, I never expected that I would be at a firm that has a Christian mission, working with a bunch of, of other believers. It's, you know, when I joined on, I thought, gosh, is this is this the the place for me? Uh, and yet it has been such an incredible blessing to be able to invest in these faith driven founders and sharing a common faith has been a big part of that. Not only do we get to pray together, but we really our core of our theology is we believe that these are eternal relationships. And these are seven years of much longer relationships, and we're on a, a similar mission. Everything around the four-part gospel I mentioned, that is motivating these founders as well. They, they're not just trying to make a buck by having an exit from a company. They're trying to make an impact through the power of Christ in joining the work that they believe he's doing. And so for us to be able to, to work together, it does feel like the body of Christ. We're serving serving—we're different parts, serving different purposes, but we have a similar mission, one body. And we're all, we're all taking steps and moving in the same direction with a similar view. And, and that brings a, a sweetness to those relationships. And so I would hope that'd be the perspective that we'd have with every interaction we have, right? You, you mentioned C.S. Lewis earlier, and I, I love his quote about, we could truly see the nature of the person standing before us. You know, we would cower in fear and even be tempted to worship them, right? Being made in the image of God is such, a, such an incredible thing that we can hardly wrap our minds around. At least I can't. And yet these are the folks we're interacting with each day and to partner with founders as they are living from that image of God and representing for the, for the God who, who they reflect uh, is a true privilege.
1: You're taking risks. They're taking risks. What is the role of risk in investments?
2: Mm. You know, so much uncertainty in starting a company. Um, venture capital is known as high risk, high reward. Right. We invest in 10 companies as an example, and we expect five of those to go to zero, to be worthless after a while. One or two to really be the winners that drive that return, and the rest to maybe get our money back the less, a little more. And so it's a, it's a highly risky area, and uh, that, that's just part of the, part of the DNA of the space. And so it depends on the asset class that you're in, but suffice it to say that any asset class, any company, there are unknowns, and there's risk there. I think as believers, we're, we're called to risk, right? Uh, as You don't see very often, whether in scripture or the great stories of heroes of the faith, uh, they're not living, I mean, they're living quiet lives in some ways, right? In, in the ways that Paul writes about as far as being good community members and the rest. But when they see injustice, when they see where God might be working, that they will take that risk. And so I, I think this is, this is no different. I'll tell you the, the long-term nature of it certainly been a challenge, at least for me. I mean, so many of us grow up and whether it's school or in early career and the rest, there there is that pretty quick feedback loop of how you're doing, whether it's grades or performance reports and sales goals, whatever it might be. In the kind of investing that we do, you are investing and you don't know for seven to 10 years what's working, what's not. You have indications along the way, but I think this is a time now where a lot of companies, whether public or private, their evaluations are are really getting crushed and, and going lower. Where I think people are wondering, well, even those milestones along the way, that's not necessarily indicative of where things end up. And so it, it really is a challenge. You know, I, I've i had to almost struggle with identity where I realize that it's very easy for me to get satisfaction from those clear marks that things are working along the way rather than uh, complete satisfaction from everything we're talking about with the relationships and relying on the Lord to do it. I think some of that might just be simply the curse of work, even though we're called in our vocations to to make something of the world through that work. Uh, but it is a challenge, both taking that risk and the ups and downs that come with it, but also the time frame under which we're investing.
1: Risk and faith. How does risk and how does risk relate with faith?
2: So much of what we do is seeking to be faithful in the activities. And uh, one of, one of my favorite books on investing is The Intelligent Investor. And Ben Graham was Warren Buffett's mentor and wrote that book and. It's a bit outdated in a bunch of ways, but I think its core thesis stands where he says, when you're looking at an investment, he's talking about public companies, but have a thesis, have a perspective on what you think is valuable, where you think it'll go, and then stick to that thesis. Always assess if it changes, but don't get caught up in the emotions, right? When the market is really frothy, don't get overly excited. When it's really dour, don't get overly down on it, right? Stick to the, to the thesis that you know will play out in the long term as long as thesis still stands. And it's such a a secular view of investing, a being wonderful, insightful view, but it's secular and yet a beautiful example of what I think faith and risk looks like. It's it's using your head to make up your mind on what you believe is true and then not letting the, the emotions get the better of you. And even in a space like ours, like venture, where there are so many unknowns that continue to unfold, it's being faithful in the activities, both in the investing side and how to do that well as an investor, but also on the faith side. To make sure that even when it is stressful or when you worry that people maybe aren't working as hard as they should or, or made an unforced error in something that they were doing to structure up a fundraising round, whatever it might be, right? To be able to interact graciously and address the issue, but yet love them in the process. Faithfulness in the activities and trusting God for the results, I think is a good way to approach risk in life, but, but also in investing.
1: Mm. Jake, let's- Move a bit here and uh, take a bit of a turn. You talk about the eternal mindset. You're speaking from the eternal mindset, an eternal mindset. How does an eternal mindset change the way we give and the way we save?
2: Mm. Like so much of of stewardship, I think an eternal mindset puts a responsibility on us to say, I need to take this seriously. I need to do this well. And yet open-handedly understands that it's not up to us. Right? We can save, we can invest, we can do all the rest. And yet there are things that happen in the world. And fortunately we live in a country at a time where we aren't exposed to quite as many of these, um, but things will happen to sometimes just wipe that out. We, we see a lot of technology solutions, for instance, trying to address issues of cross-border payments when you have economies that just completely collapse and you have life savings that, that go to nothing, right? And whether it's believers in, in those countries or much smaller versions of that for us, knowing that our future is not secure, right? It, it, scripture tells us that, well, we can plan, you know, get a couple steps ahead and be a good steward of that, but understand that the Lord really directs our path. And so it's a mindset around trusting him in that. And the flip side is we know that he's going to take care of us. Um, uh, he promises with, with the lilies and the birds of the air and the rest that, that he cares. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that our bank accounts will swell or that it'll even be where they need to be when we have deep needs. And I think we we live into the community of believers that can, can care for each other and the rest. And yet we do recognize the eternal mindset that there will be sufferings. And sometimes our hope is in when God makes all things new. I think oftentimes he works in the meantime, but not, not all the time. But if we are, are leaning on him and holding to him, then, uh, then we know that we'll end up where he wants us to be. And yet in the meantime, I think what faithfulness looks like is seeking to, to save, to not overspend, to yeah, in, invest appropriately. But you know, we'll, we'll meet somebody and if they want to put all their life savings and venture capital, well, that's not very wise, right? That should be more like 5 to 10% max. And so there are certain tried and true frameworks that I think are leaning on wisdom to be able to, to save and to invest. Uh, and, and I think we should avail ourselves to those as well.
1: You're listening to Jake Thompson, speaking with a, a, a groundedness of the, of the ages. He speaks of giving, he speaks of saving, he speaks of investing. And when we come back, he'll even, we'll talk a little bit about giving in the sense of him serving as a board member of Little Lights Urban Ministries and Trinity Fellows Academy. Did you know of Sovereign's Capital, they have someone called a Chief Pastoral Officer in their company, a CPO. What is that role? Well, we'll ask, we'll ask Jake Thompson when we come back. Stay with us. Sovereign'sCapital.com Wandering the road of desperate life Famously beneath the barren sky Leave it to me, i lead you home. Hi, this is Danny Yamashiro. A woman in Boston recently told me, I listen to your program every day and was inspired by the man who became an NFL quarterback. A person in Orlando said, I heard your podcast of the man who came to God during the Jesus movement another friend said that pastor who gave one of his organs to a boy without ever meeting the child touched me about jesus love the good life with dr danny is made possible through financial partners would you consider sending a gift to keep our program going podcasts have been downloaded in 49 states and 35 nations in the last six months please help us expand our reach Go to drdanny.live and click Support This Media Ministry. That's drdanny.live and click Support This Media Ministry.
0: You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny. A program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Jake Thompson
1: is a partner with Sovereign's Capital. It's a venture capital fund that invests in faith-driven entrepreneurs in Southeast Asia and the United States. Jake Thompson, well, you think about his name, you think magna cum laude in economics at Pomona College and both an MBA and an MPP, both degrees from Duke University, the Fuqua School of Business, and Sanford School of Public Policy. Jake joins us today. Jake, you serve as a board member of Little Lights Urban Ministries and Trinity Fellows Academy. Would you share a bit about both programs?
2: I'd be happy to. Little Lights Urban Ministries, it's based in Washington, D.C. in the southeast area of the city and started about 25 years ago by a couple that deeply wanted to see flourishing in that part of the city. And they decided to serve mostly children at that time who lived in public housing complexes. And so it's a a wonderful, classic ministry that offers tutoring and mentoring and after-school support. And uh, it's grown over the years to support the families of these kids as well. And it is, it is such a redemptive force in the lives of these communities. And you know, my wife and I, we moved to, to Capitol Hill in DC and uh, Little Lights was right down the road along with one of the, the public housing um, communities that it served. And so this was a way that we just wanted to be deeply involved in our, our local context and got to know them and volunteer with the organization. And uh, it's been a, a huge, incredible pleasure to just see the impact in the lives of these kids as, as Little Lights serves them. And then Trinity, Trinity Fellows Academy, so this is an organization that, that actually recently decided that the mission that it was going after, given the cultural context today, it, it probably wasn't quite as relevant. And so one, the only, one of the very few nonprofits I've, I've ever known that ended very, very well, but it was a, a, an incredible organization that was a f- residential fellowship on the Eastern Shore of Maryland. So if folks are familiar with Oz Guinness, he wrote a book called The Call, which was about vocation. And and seeking faithfulness in our everyday lives, he he actually launched this. He spent time at a community called Labri in Switzerland in his formative years back in the '60s. He wanted to have a version of Labri on the Chesapeake Bay, and so he launched this. and And it was unlike anything I, I ever experienced. I was actually listening to a radio show in Hawaii when I was there working at at a, a bank that I had heard about this organization, and it was what prompted me to to move away for um, back when I was about 26 years old. Uh, and the structure of the program is a group of 12 young professionals, most about three or four years into their career, long enough to have the questions to ask about what it looks like for my faith to impact where, where God has me. And they would go and they live together and work together and have speakers and have C-level executives and politicians from DC and, and folks coming in to talk about how their faith had impacted the way that, that they go about their careers. And so it really impacted my life when I was a fellow there back in, I guess, about 2008. Yeah, a lot of the ideas that I had about why why vocation matters and the rest came from that time. And so when I finished up for for about t- over ten years, I, I served on the board there to to help other generations to experience that um, really neat group of people who wanted to see uh, wanted to see people understand young people understand what it looked like to catch a vision at the beginnings of their careers. There, there's still an organization, kind of parent organization of, of that one called the Trinity Forum in Washington D.C. that I'd I commend to listeners and, Their their tagline is they want to to have leading thinkers for thinking leaders, right? How do you take the great ideas of Western civilization and the great writings of folks in in past centuries and take those those timeless truths in our leadership today? But two great organizations, it's been a a privilege to serve alongside them.
1: When I hear you say that you were working in a bank in Hawaii and you you heard a heard a podcast, you heard a program, and it, it so moved and inspired you. You continue to do that through the work that you're doing, even now as you speak. I noticed, Jake, a chief pastoral officer at Sovereign's Capital. What role is that, a a CPO at your company?
2: Yeah, that's Stephen, Stephen Phelan. Uh, He's such an incredible part of our team. It is a role to care for our people really well. So, St- Stephen, he'll, you know, no task is too small or too large in the spiritual life of our company. Everything from leading our prayer calls that we do as a company every Friday for 30 minutes, uh, he, he will organize mission trips together that, that we'll be able to do with our families and bring those along. And he, he kind of checks us on our theology, you could say, right? When we put together our theory of change or why we think the, the work that we do matters, uh, he's the first guy that we send it over to to, to give his trained eye as a pastor and a seminarian, make sure that, that we're not. Yeah, off base on anything, and he's available for all of our team members. If you think about the the classic corporate chaplain of a sports team, right there are more more and more companies that are having those types of roles, and I think that's a good fit for more traditional companies they're They're taking on a fresher view you could say or a fresher um, instance with companies like Forte it's a, a led by faith driven founders who are seeking to offer those same counseling um, chaplain services for for companies that is maybe is a little bit more of a fit for Silicon Valley type companies. But the the goal of all those is the same where I can go as I'm maybe struggling through something and I can call up Steven and and have a just a a wise voice from a guy who gets to know and love each person on the team and can walk alongside them. We believe that that culture is probably the most important thing that any company, including ours, can spend time on. And having a a CPO serving our team is one way we try to do that.
1: Uh, a man with a a law degree and a Master of Divinity degree. What a combination.
2: That's, right, that's right. He's a unique guy. We love Stephen.
1: Speaking of ministry and the pastoral role, how has the Lord helped you, Jake, through difficult times?
2: Mm. Gosh, we could probably spend the entire hour talking about this. Yeah, I, I think my answers would be the, the, the classic places that his people have turned to over the years, right? In, in scripture and in getting my perspective right, even in those difficult times, right? By almost being reminded who I am, the story that I'm living into, what he's going to do at the end of that story, right? That he even is at work today, each day and calls me to himself to experience joy in him and that joy overflowing into other people is the most important thing that I can do each day. And yet in those times of, of suffering or challenges, it can be very easy to to lean on my own understanding my own power to solve those problems so I think scripture has has got to be a big part of that uh, the community around me uh, chiefly my wife Lauren uh, having a partner like her going through life with who can just be somebody who is who's there uh, through through thick and thin and is going to listen and support and know me uh, but by extension one of the reasons that that we moved to the community we did is because there was there's built-in community of folks that Saw saw life in similar ways, and they wanted to love the city in similar ways, and they were believers who uh, were animated by that. And having having a small group and a community that isn't just the classic "Hey, let's go and we'll talk about this book," and we're probably frustrated because one guy talks too much and I need to get my mm-hmm. point in. Mm-hmm. right? people really doing life together has been a special thing, and to be able to lean on that community in good times and bad. You know, I'm my early forties these days, and it's been so neat to have that that consistency of some of these relationships. You know, it's my best friends are, are 10, 15 years where we have been doing life together and truly doing life together, not just being in touch. So I think scripture and, and marriage and my community would be the, the biggest answer to that. And, and of course, and the thread through all of that is, is just my relationship with Christ as I spend time and his spirit ministers to me and comforts me in the way that he promises.
1: Where did you meet Lauren?
2: I met Lauren through friends. It was actually through that Trinity Fellows Academy, the executive director of that. His wife had grown up with Lauren, and so they had tried to to set us up from afar. But at that point, I was in Maryland, outside of D.C. She was down in South Carolina. I had just gotten out of a a long-term relationship, and I thought, gosh, that's like five states away. Uh, How how desperate do you think I am? So Mm -hmm. Lauren and I both fought it. Uh, And yet, we ended up meeting each other about six months later at an Easter brunch, uh, almost happenstance. And I thought, golly, you guys should have pushed harder. She's great. Mm -hmm. So met her through friends. We dated long distance mostly, and then ended up getting married back about twelve years ago now, almost twelve years.
1: What do you enjoy about parenting in this season of life?
2: Wow, that is a big question, uh, and one that I think a lot about because I, you know, marriage that that next step it felt like it was iterative, right? It was just a little bit different than my life before. But having kids, that was just a whole new world, and it's been it's such a neat blessing to to learn about myself to learn about the world right to see how god sees us and the way that i see my kids and there's i used to say that that venture investing is one of the most humbling things that you can do right because you you influence a lot but control very little but i've come to believe that parenting is indeed the most humbling thing you can do Mm -hmm. because you same thing you can you can raise your kids up and the rest and yeah these are independent people and uh, that doesn't mean that our our responsibility changes and it is is such a joy. You know, we've got we got started a little later than expected, but have six year old twins, and uh, since since that bio was written that you read, we also have a, a two year old COVID surprise, John Henry, and all three of them are just incredible joys. And so being able to being excited to to get home from travel, to get home at the end of the day, to just see the way that they learn and uh, the way their minds are expanding, and it's, they're made fully in the image of God, but they almost are growing into that in in new ways as they become. Uh, people who know and who feel and who have their personalities come to life. So it's it's been it's been an incredible pleasure to to be a father. One that more so, you know, if I had any advice for my younger self, it probably would be to have kids earlier. Because it's such a, a sweetness in life and a depth that that I don't think I truly appreciate it before the fact. A
1: prayer, Jake, would you pray for our listener today? Someone might be going through a few bumps in the road related to a number of things that you've shared or one that stands out particularly to them, would you pray a prayer for this dear friend who listens?
2: Absolutely. I'd I'd be happy to. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you know us, that you care about us. You know the number of hairs on our head, God, and, and you care about every circumstance that we have. And we are all pressured to pretend like we have it all together and to to walk into situations and to have the answers, God. And yet we know that our answers are in you, that we do our best and yet there's still suffering and brokenness. And Lord, I pray for this listener and listener that might have things going on that might be in despair, that might be lacking hope. Lord, I think about Zephaniah 3.17 says, Lord, your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Lord, I, I lift up this listener and for you to look at him or her and be so enraptured with who they are that you just can't help but bust out in a song, Lord. What an incredible observation of who you are. So we pray that you lift them up, bring people around them, bring truth to them. Lord, we recognize that we will feel emotions of the anxiety and depression, whatever else, in the brokenness of this world. And yet we do have a hope to look to, Lord. So we lift them up. We thank you that you have those answers. Uh, we pray that you would have the hands and the feet of your people. to to administer that grace to them. Uh, We thank you for them and and how that they are living their lives right now. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Jake Thompson, thank you for being with us today.
2: Thank you, Danny. True privilege. privilege.
1: Wise words from Jake Thompson, SovereignsCapital.com. My friend, God's timing is perfect and there's no better time than right now to share the love of Jesus with someone near you. And look, if you haven't done so, hey, this might be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Jesus Christ. Would you do that? Go to drdanny.live for next steps. Find resources to reach family and friends. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Jake Thompson, Sovereign'sCapital.com. Until next time, along with my producer, Brian Torres, social media director, Luke Yamashiro, guest coordinator, Jan Yi, and board operator, Joseph Valdivieso. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today.